They call him the guard whisperer. Olin Simplis is the man who stands behind every great basketball player and helps them excel. His player first attitude about training is what makes him who he is. Olin began his basketball journey in Los Angeles and was looked upon as one of the top guards in the area. While his playing career didn't materialize, he found a niche with training. More than just a basketball trainer, Olin is a mentor, leader, and passionate advocate of girls and women's basketball. He has trained numerous athletes in the NBA, WNBA, NCAA, and has worked with Jalen Duden, Isaiah Mobley, Orlando Robinson, and many, many more. Please welcome Olin Simplis. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. So is this the job you've always wanted? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, honestly. Actually, the job I always wanted was the first part, mentoring and helping the youth through the game of basketball just evolve and use the life skills that's taught through basketball to better themselves, whether it's confidence, learning how to work within a team, and just developing values that'll help them along life. That was my passion. It still is my passion. It evolved into what it is today where I'm training 20 plus NBA guys in off season. I have 10 WNBA girls. So it evolved, but I still spend a lot of time with the youth because I think that's where my energy is needed the most. I was a kid that needed that energy. I came from a single mother home, mother from Belize, raised two boys out here. When I was a young kid, I had a little attitude situation going on. So I knew at an early age when my time was up, I would want to give back to the 16-year-old Olin. And so it just evolved to what it is today. Who was your favorite player watching when you grew up? Magic Johnson. Magic oh, Johnson yeah. was my favorite player, definitely. Yep. I went to his camps like four straight summers. And then later on in life, like, I wouldn't say friends, because Cal, it's not, that's a strong term, but later in life, you'll see him around LA, such a small place. Basketball make the world small, where even to this day, when we see each other, he knows who I am. But now, Magic Johnson was definitely my favorite player growing up. Getting noticed as a trainer to elite level athletes isn't really that easy. What were those early beginnings like? The early beginnings, like I said, was dealing with the youth. I was blessed enough to develop two kids from an early age that became pros later in life. Trevor Reza was the first one that I worked with who went on to have it. Well, he's still playing, but he's in year 18, 18 year career. And then Spencer Dinwiddie's another one. So developing players from an early age, that's how I evolved. Like I said, my goal was never to train NBA guys. It was to develop kids, develop youth, develop young ladies. And I just stay true to who, to what my beliefs were and my passion for the game. I've had success with the basketball part of it, actually developing players into really, really good basketball players and earning scholarships at the university levels and moving on from there. It wasn't hard because, like I said, it wasn't necessarily my goal to be recognized training NBA players. It was actually, I would say, easy in a sense because I had my son at an early age of 20, he started playing basketball, just following me around gyms because I was still playing at the time at the early age of four or five. Then I started placing him in leagues and basketball leagues mm -hmm. and I would have him play up. I wouldn't have him play his age bracket in one particular league. 
at the end of the league, they awarded him the MVP trophy. And the directors, he was announcing who the MVP trophy was. He told his age, like eight-year-old kid, and he was playing in a 12-year-old division. So the team that he played for and the team that we just beat in the championship all said, hey, can I train with you? And that's how it actually evolved. Because back in my earlier stages, and there was no such thing as basketball training. It was basketball coaching. But it just evolved really through my son, just having this bond with him and being on the courts and coaching all his little leagues and just him playing playing really well at such an early age, it kind of attracted kids to what I was doing with him. We just turned it into basketball clinic and so forth. I'm blessed today to have worked with, sheesh, I would say 40, 50 plus NBA players to date. I would say 20 plus WNBA girls and hundreds of college basketball players. But end of the day, like all the players that I've worked with to so far, they're professionals or something. We have kids doing a lot of things that's not basketball oriented. But like I said, they've used the hard work, the grit factor, the the perseverance to be successful in other areas in life. That's my biggest joy in doing what I do, is seeing kids grow up and lead successful lives. So what makes a great player great? What makes a great player great? Wow. It's just the small things across the board, right? Like, I try to tell these players that I'm training, and this is no disrespect to, like, say, someone I'm going to make the comparison to. But Kobe Bryant is my other favorite player. Like, I grew up watching Magic, but Kobe Bryant is my favorite. Like, his work ethic, his attention to detail, his possessiveness with greatness. So, I compare Kobe Bryant. There's another player I like to compare to, Corey McGinn, who's actually had a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal career. If you were to line them up side by side, I would say Corey McGetty's bigger, more athletic, just physically, I think, more gifted. But across the board, I think Kobe's this much better at a lot of little things across the board that makes the separation so great. So the greatness in players is little minute things across the board. Like, I always use the analogy in track. Someone that crosses the finish line at 10.0 and someone that crosses it at 10.1, that .1 is a huge difference. So you have the 10.0 getting a gold medal and the 10.1 not even on the platform. So <laughs> the greatness is just small little details across the board that the greater players, they focus in, hone in on, and understand that I just have to be this much better every single time I step on the floor. And it'll add up to like a huge, huge gap. So it's not, it's not a big thing. It's just focus, attention to detail, coming in every day, having a game plan and executing. We'll have guys today where they allow fatigue to be something that'll stop them from giving full effort. They won't go home. They won't sleep their full eight hours. The nutrition aspect, they'll neglect. Um, the recovery aspect, the weight training aspect, the condition aspect on the beach. There's so many different components. The great ones, they're keyed in on every part of the game. How they sleep, how they eat, how they hydrate, how they do their off-court workouts, their recovery. They're just so zoned in on every single part of the game. And that's what separates them. It's never really the natural talents or the shooting of the basketball or the dribbling of the basketball or high one jump. It's across the board, just the details, attention to details of everything else that's involved in being the best they can possibly be at their particular sport. And I think you just asked, answered my next question, which was why do some make it and some don't? Right. I mean, it, it, that's the biggest thing, I think, for the most part. I've come across 
many players that should have had a chance mm-hmm. or at least at least play at, at a high level, but there's just certain distractions and not liking school early, not getting a scholarship because they, they didn't prepare in the classroom, not taking their conditioning correctly, their behavior, making sure that you also have to be a quality human being. If someone wants to invest millions with millions millions on you you also have to take how you are as a person serious as well so there's a lot of people walking this earth that should have been could have been professional basketball player but just professional athletes all the other sports is pretty much the same but weren't serious with their day-to-day activities whether it's preparing for the court preparing off the court how they eat how they sleep would i rather party now you know like there's there's a lot of sacrifice you have to make if this is something you want to do, you have to lead a different lifestyle. You won't party as much as friends early. You won't, you'll party later if you do it right. Like, yeah. you know, you'll party a lot later. But Glad you clarified that. For <laughs> people to look down the road, it's the sacrifice and the time and the things. Like I have a young lady that I always talk about when I get interviewed. She's already signed a college scholarship. She's a freshman in high school. I had her in seventh and eighth grade. She drives two hours to work out with me three days wow. and from and her dedication and commitment is just through the roof to see that at such an early age and so freshman year of high school last year she committed to usc she was cif player of the year her height letter team to a cif championship but that's the type of dedication if this is something you want to do it takes that she could be doing mm-hmm. something totally different than spending four hours on the road every day working out with me but that's where the sacrifices come in. And a lot of kids would rather play, have fun, which I get it, be a kid. There's 24 hours in a day. I tell kids, there's 24 hours in a day. You still have time to do the other things. Give yourself two to three hours of dedicated work to your craft every day. And more times than not, you'll make it. And that applies to just about every industry too. But, but when you talk about sacrifice, it isn't just the players that have to make that sacrifice. Oh. It's the coaches, it's the equipment managers, it's the PR directors, it's all the people behind the scenes too. Right. Parents, the parents are the ones that yeah. they're driving to and from for the most part. But even before they get to the level you're referring to with, with the PR, the equipment manager, that's college. Mm. There's needs to happen prior to that before you even get to that level where you have a equipment manager before you have a publicist that's where i think today's like today's youth i think are gonna have a harder time with it because social media has mm. convinced kids that things happen now and if it doesn't yeah. they're dejected they don't put forth the same energy they see the highlights of people's lives on social media not the back work the hours yeah. and hours and hours spent with the sacrifices we're currently talking about. So social media, I think, is going to hurt a lot of youth and in where they're trying to go in their respective sports and, and their journey. Because I have kids now, it's there is no more grind. There is no more paying dues. There is no more, but I got to have it now. That's not life. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 26 years, and people are asking me, man, how'd you train NBA players? I developed I develop some from the ground up. I'll go develop one. But that takes time. That takes work. The other aspect, too, that was not always there when I worked in professional baseball and AAA baseball, they didn't have social media. So if you got into trouble, you could bury it. <laughs> now you can't bury stuff that happens off the off the court. So, yeah. 
Describe the transition from college to pro. Because it's not an easy, it's not just like, okay, I'm finished college. So now I just jump right into this position. There's a, there's a transition there. Right. So most of our players that we get from college, they come to us, they're identified early, either by an agency or professional team. And before they're even drafted, before they're even drafted, they come to someone like myself and they put in six to eight weeks of work starting. We start from 6 a.m. We work from 6 a.m. to 10. We give them, then they go weight room after. Then we give them lunch, so forth. Then they come back in the evenings and shoot. And we're doing that six days a week. We're preparing them for the poss- and that's just the possibility of getting drafted. Then once they're drafted, God willing, that happens. Then they report to their teams. And it's pretty much an all-day journey. You're on the court. Then you're doing film sessions. And you're in the weight room. Then you're coming back in the evenings for games. It's your lifestyle. It's I just try to tell someone, like, it's now your job. It's an eight to 10 hour day of preparation before you even play the sport. It's grueling. It's, you know, some of these kids that we have, it's a blessing. They're in a position to do something they love for a living, but the work that goes into it. This year I had an 18 year old, 19 year old getting ready for the draft. Just his dedication and his commitment level at such an early age. He ended up getting drafted number 13 by Detroit Pistons, He's 18 years old, but he has a chef. He carries his physical trainer with him everywhere he goes. Then he's on the court with us. Then he has his guy from back home that coaches AU program doing extra works in the afternoon and evening. Like he gets it. So it's basically an all day thing. The time that you're not on the court, you're recovering. Whether that be just at home resting, whether that's going to a situation at ice baths, massage, massage therapy, what and, and all the above. It's an all-day journey. It's an all-day journey. How important is that connection with a coach? The development level is very important. So, for example, kids, players, they spend more time with us than they do their own parents, for the most part, when they get to the level. So the relationship matters. I know what buttons to push. I can read, okay, he's having an off day. He may be tired. We still have to get the work done, but what avenues do I need to navigate to maybe push him to push through that exhaustion or push through that fatigue or maybe he had a bad day or maybe some something happened in his family life or just having that relationship so the train stays on track. So it's very important you have that connection with, with your coach or with your trainer, whatever it be, because you can read the situation. A lot of times if a guy doesn't have that relationship, the communication tends to fall off. Mm. Now, we're not opening up. He's probably taking a day off. That day off can turn into two days. Or he's not respecting the work. He's not going to give full effort if that relationship isn't tight or if it, there's not some sort of respect behind it. So it's huge. I think it's the biggest thing in helping these kids navigate the wards. And that's even prior to college, even at the youth youth level. I expect, I utilize a stepfather situation when I come with that. Like a stepfather just can't come into a kid's life and start demanding explaining actions. You can't do this if you don't do that. There's a level of love and trust that needs to take place before any sort of implementing rules or implementing boundaries or whatever whatever that term, whatever term you want to call it. There has to be a level of love and respect that kid feels towards the stepdad before that even takes place. I think it's the same thing with training, right? If I don't have that player's love and that player's respect, it won't 
it won't it, the relationship won't won't maximize won't reach its full potential i personally feel so talk about that unspoken language in the room which is basically chemistry and chemistry be coached yes definitely okay. and when it goes back to like i said the respect levels you won't have a smooth relationship and that chemistry won't form if there's not a respect level from player coach or coach to player and trust obviously if someone trust me and I trust them no matter what I say what I do on the court they understand it's for, for, for their best interest and the workouts and the on-court stuff just flows so much easier so no chemistry is definitely something we strive to gain in that regard and I've been blessed to pretty much have the, those types of relationship with all my players like I always start off saying I'm not trying to be your friend but if we happen to be friend after that's great that's a love-hate relationship you're gonna hate me at first but love me later the respect always falls into place and it goes from a business ship to a family ship so i don't even look at any of my clients as clients that's like just a hard term to family now like i got married two years ago and in my wedding three of my players were my groomsmen so it turns into to family yes it does so what are some of those little things can you describe some of those little things that players have to do to actually stay in the game, maybe not get hurt, but even just to pro proceed further down their, down their career? Recovery is a huge thing. We've been taught as men, so I know women not, but as men, fight through, fight through pain, fight through this. Fight. No, no, no. Make sure you take care of your bodies. Make sure you're getting your eight hours of sleep. Make sure you're hydrated, a gallon of water a day. I require from all my guys simple things. Make sure nutrition, you're getting four to five meals a day. Stay away from the fast food. So those are the off the court things. And then you just said something very important that also goes into injury prevention. How you eat, how you sleep, how you recover helps with persevering your career. So those things are so vital. I think a lot of times these young guys neglect it because when you're young, you can eat 10 burgers and go play basketball and be okay. When you're trying to be a professional, you know, there's a level of that where I said the small things are, well, yeah, you may be here and this may work for college, but you need to get here to be a pro. They're used to still playing well, can eat whatever it is they want to eat, fried foods, not drink water, not have breakfast, and still do fairly well. But now you're you're with the one percenters. And when you're in the one percenters, everything matters. So that's the biggest thing. Just trying to teach these kids how to eat, how to sleep, how to take care of their bodies, how to recover. And it sounds easy, but it's hard. It's hard. I have kids come in here at 8 a.m., not eating breakfast, and we're working out till 1. So from 8 to 1, there's no fuel on there. Or they'll go get us. My recent one was I had a Starbucks little sandwich. You're a professional <laughs> basketball player. It was like, that. like you're making money. Hire a chef. Get your chef. Invest in yourself, you know? And then the other aspect, too, what I have seen in particularly in football, in amateur football, is that players, when they do get hurt, they want to rush back in. Well, I've seen it in, this, in the professional football, too. They want to rush back into the game, but you can't really rush recovery. And sometimes it's really hard to be on the sidelines and watch your teammates play. Well, that's a two-way street. So... Something you discussed earlier, chemistry and trust with your coaches in your circle. Once again, 
I like to preface everything with this is no knock on any professional organization, nor is it directed. A lot of times, though, yes, they want to rush, but sometimes they're also being rushed because if I'm investing all this money into a player, I need him on the court. So we advise a lot of our players to also have an outside position or an outside opinion because that person doesn't have any ties to the team. They're, that position is not being pressured by the team to get that player on the court. So, no, you have it where players want to get back on the court quick, fast, in a hurry, but then you also have the pressure of the organization applying pressure to the physicians and the physical therapists to, hey, we need this player back. We need this player back. And a lot of times it's not at the best interest of the player. So we always advise our players to make sure you get a second opinion to someone that's not connected to the organization. We see it all the time. Oh, yeah. All the, even at the college level, these kids are being scholarships. That's in the university minds. We're paying them to be here. We need them on the court. They're getting rushed back from injuries just to get re-injured. So. Yeah. It's every sport play. too, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. That's why it's good to have a circle of trust as well. It's yeah. so much that goes into this. It's crazy. Because it it's such a big business, not just the player playing, but everything that's outside of it from endorsement deals to TV deals to everything else. These players bring so much value monetarily to their institutions that we have to make sure that the players are, you know, are being taken care of and they're in a safe environment and their circle really have their best interests at heart. Harder said than done, you know. I don't know about basketball, but I know that in hockey particularly, and amateur hockey particularly, as they develop, the parents, there are some parents that are parents from hell too. They kind of try to tell the coach how to coach and, and oh, do yeah. that in basketball too. <laughs> we Look here. There's a reason I'm not big on AU and youth basketball or youth sports outside of the school environment because you have so many non-professionals leading these kids. What I mean by that is anyone can say I'm a basketball coach, I'm a basketball trainer, mm -hmm. I can have an AAU, AAU program. Then as far as the parents are concerned, they're professionals too in their mind. Tell some of my parents, hey, I'm not going into your attorney's office telling you how to run your business. I'm not going trying to replace a cavity in your dentistry, you know, your profession, you know, like, so I have to remind them, like, you hired me for a reason. This is what I do. Trust the process. Even guys at my level still, yeah, still do it. But at the younger level, uh, it's it's horrible. You feel bad for the players. <laughs> for the kids, because we're teaching these kids wrong things. And mm. it's, no, I mean, now... Uh, recent, and recently, I'm not sure if you're familiar, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen it, and it's always happened, but I don't know to the extent that it's happening today. Every time I turn around, I see a parent physically fighting a ref. Oh, God, yeah. Post or something like eight, nine, ten-year-old basketball games. It's it's appalling. Well, Hockey Canada, years and years ago, they had a, on all the Hockey Canada jerseys, they had a little respect sign on the back of the jerseys. Right. Then they had all these commercials and basically it was aimed at the parents right. to respect, but I don't think it worked very well. <laughs> it, I mean, I think youth sports, a lot of times the darkest cloud in youth sports is the parent. That's sad because not every kid, you said the one percenters, how many players 
right. get to that level where the parents want them to be the next Kobe Bryant. And the chances of that happening are pretty slim. And a lot of times you're actually hindering the kid, you know, like yeah. very few in my time doing this. 26 years is pretty, is, you know, it's a decent time doing it. Very few I've seen that have had a helicopter parent have made it. A lot of times that player becomes lack confidence, lack the ability to make decisions on his own because they're always being told what to do when they're in the middle of the game. They're constantly looking over to the sideline, seeing what their parents, as opposed to just playing the game first and foremost to enjoy it. Second, now you're playing to not make mistakes and error because you don't want to get barked at on the way home in the car or you don't want your parents yelling at the coach or you don't want it's it's actually hindering not just on the court but just the players growth as a person mm -hmm. and yeah it, it doesn't help it doesn't help no. so what is your personal inspiration what my, gets you through the day gosh i'm a huge family guy my mother raised two boys on her own so she's my biggest inspiration then I have a wife. I have two kids. I have a, well, he's not a newborn anymore, but I have a one-year-old. So every day I'm out here trying to do my best to make sure home life is taken care of. And and outside of my love and passion for the game, but more, most importantly, my family. Make sure that whenever I'm walking these streets and I'm in the public eye, I make my mother proud. She did so much to raise two kids, two boys on her own. Like, I mean, I have two. One I, I pretty much did with her help, raised on my own now. I have another one, my wife, and I don't understand how she raised two by herself. It's, <laughs> it's the toughest job there is. And then on top of that, from a foreign country, she's not from the oh. U.S. Belize, so she moved out here at the age of 22 with two boys. So she's the biggest inspiration. Just make sure that every day I'm walking this green earth, I make her proud. So, yeah, that's basically my biggest inspiration, and obviously my kids and my yeah. wife. That's great. So I've got one last question for you. I don't know. It might be hard because what is your favorite on-court memory? Because <laughs> you may have many. <laughs> my favorite, my personal on-court memory. So at the age of 20, 21, no, 22, my son was born. So I went back to school. I got invited to play for my national team back home in Belize. Like it was the first time the country has ever reached back into the different states like most countries do and bring home their best players to represent, represent them. So it was the first time Belize brought players from the U.S. to come home and play for them. And we ended up winning gold the first time in the country's history. We won the gold medal for them in one of the qualifying tournaments. Well, it didn't continue happening as smooth as it should have. They didn't, you know, the country was divided and some people wanted there, some people didn't. But that one particular tournament, we came home and we actually hosted it. We were, co we were coached by a former NBA guy. The, the Federation flew in brand new gym floor. Like back home, they played on tiles in the gym. It's third world country. We won gold and it was pretty amazing. My personal one, I would say... As a coach, trainer, there's many. I just like to see all my guys make it, seeing guys' names mm -hmm. get called on draft night, seeing their dreams come to fruition of all the hard work, no matter when I started on the journey with them, just to see these kids work. Draft night every year is a big thing for me. Whether it's a kid I know or not, just seeing and knowing the work that goes into it, 
And these 60 kids getting their name called and walking across the stage and a huge chance to not only change their lives, but their family lives and future generations of family lives. That's always a beautiful thing for me. I look forward to it every year, even if I don't have a player involved. You know, it's just a huge, huge thing and a huge opportunity knowing what goes into it. Yeah, it's my favorite time and it's my favorite part of basketball. Draft night. That's special. Well, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. No, no, most definitely. I was trying to get a little earlier, but we're still in the middle of workouts with our pro guys. And then our high school workouts started a little late. So I was like, I ran over here. Well, considering the interview, it's a good sound in the background. It's very appropriate. It's very appropriate. Oh, there we go. (laughs) 